All right, if you have your Bible, look with me at Matthew 11, beginning at verse 7. Tonight we're going to talk about John the Baptist. Now you remember, John the Baptist was one that Jesus said is the finest man ever born of woman. Now, and I always say this, you know who that includes? That includes Abraham and Moses and all the prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, you think about that for a minute. I mean, this was one outstanding man. We're going to be talking about him tonight. Let's look at verse 7. And as these were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. This is John the Baptist. Uh, What did you go out to the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palaces. Now, the first characteristic that uh, I want us to get about John the Baptist that caused him to rise to personal greatness was his ability to recognize and overcome his weaknesses. Now, all of us, when we start out, have a bunch of weaknesses. No question about that. Maybe some of it is uh, something that runs in our family. Maybe some of it is what we learned at school. Maybe some of it is what the neighborhood kids taught us. Uh, You know, there's a lot of things. Uh, Many people cannot rise above their difficulties and their circumstances. Everyone has problems. It is overcoming those problems that is the dividing line between great people and all the other people. It's just just that simple. Great people fight through, refusing to give in to their own ignorance. You know, when I was growing up, uh, I've told you this a bunch of times, my dad called me nitwit. And uh, I kind of thought I was nitwit. Uh, You know, and, and then I went to school and I uh, got to Baltimore, and, and they wanted to put me back a grade. And my dad went down and stood in for me and got, me to, got them to give me some tests, and I, I scored way above that grade, and so they didn't put me back a year. Uh, but, you know, you, you grow up with that kind of image. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not very bright. And uh, when I finished my doctor's degree, My dad was there, and he came up to me, and he put his arm around me, and he said, uh, I'm real proud of you. That was the only time in my life that he said that. Only time. Well, um, you know, we, some of us think we're ignorant. Some of us think, well, we have all these handicaps. Some think, you know, I'm lazy. I can't do anything about it. I like being lazy. Uh, Some people are indifferent to most things. You know, they just, they just don't uh, connect with uh, things, uh, whatever obstacles it might be. John the Baptist had that characteristic of greatness in him to the full degree. He overcame his weaknesses. Had a whole lot of them, but he overcame every one of them. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, I mean from the very beginning. And had been set apart by God to announce the Messiah and to prepare Israel for his coming. He had seen the Holy Spirit uh, descend on Jesus at the baptism. He had heard 
the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, uh, you know, he, he'd been there for all of that. Uh, from many sources, including from some of his own disciples, he had heard of Jesus' miraculous powers. Now, everybody in the land had heard about these unbelievable things that Jesus was doing. Yet because of some difficulties, he was in a prison cell, uh, really just a hole in the ground with a grate over the top of it. Uh, he was in uh, that prison situation. He had, I'm sure, physical difficulties and stuff. And he wondered, you know, if, if the uh, result of his life of dedication and service was to die in that pit. And I think in the midst of those uh, kinds of thoughts, he had some questions come to his mind that he needed to have answered. Uh, John had misgivings about uh, some of the things that people were saying about the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. Consequently, he sent two of his disciples, we covered this last week, uh, two of his disciples to Jesus to find out uh, what the deal was, you know, and to clear up any misgivings that John the Baptist had. Uh, because he could not dispel the doubts, he acknowledged them. Now, that's a sign of greatness in and of itself. He didn't just push it down and act like it wasn't there. He acknowledged it. And he asked these guys to go and to seek out Jesus and to confirm the things that he was hearing. Above all other considerations, John wanted to know the truth about Jesus. That was the number one thing that he wanted to know in his life. He was not concerned about protecting himself by not admitting his doubts to his own disciples or to Jesus' disciples or to the multitudes that had come to look at John as a leading character for the greatest man that ever lived. There were many, many, many people, we think in the hundreds if not thousands of people, that thought that. John had no desire to play the hypocrite. He had no resentment of Jesus' popularity growing. You remember uh, John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. Now, how many of us could do that, could say that? You know, if we had a great following and we said, Well, really, I'm not the one. He's the one. Follow him. I mean, that took a lot of uh, strength and insight and dedication in and of itself. Uh, he confessed publicly that he was unworthy to even undo the sandals that were on Jesus' feet. Uh, now that's a, uh, a remarkable thing. Now number two, a second characteristic of John's personal greatness were the strong convictions that he had. He had real strong convictions. The very strength of John's convictions made his admission of doubt all the more admirable. The crowds, as well as Jesus' own disciples, surely were perplexed when they heard John the Baptist say, Now, I have some questions about the Messiahship that I need to have answered. This was the fellow, John the Baptist, who had introduced Jesus, who had promoted Jesus all the way along, and now he was proclaiming, that he had some questions about things. So that kind of discombobulated a few of the people. John had had a large and loyal following. 
and many people recognized him as the one that brought the divine message from God. So he was a special person in the eyes of everyone. To answer the questions in the minds of the multitudes, Jesus uh, didn't want to say, yes, I'm the Messiah. He thought that would be an insufficient answer for John the Baptist, who was still in prison. So he said this, uh, look in verse 7. As these were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, he appealed, Jesus appealed to the experience of the people that were there. These were the folks that had followed John, that had followed Jesus. They were all there. In effect, uh, he was asking, was the man you saw preaching and baptizing in the wilderness, was he an uncertain person? And, of course, everybody immediately thought, no, he wasn't uncertain. He was very certain. Was he a vacillating person? No, he was not a vacillating person. He had strong convictions. He never changed, in fact, on anything. He was strong all the way through. Was he like a reed shaken in the wind? And, of course, everybody immediately said, no, that wouldn't be descriptive of John the Baptist. None of them had ever heard John change his message or compromise his standards. Now, the reed to which Jesus is referring uh, to here is a common reed that grew in that part of the world. If you've been to Israel, uh, you have seen these reeds. They're thin, and and, uh, they blow with every breeze that comes by. They blow around. And so Jesus used that for an example because everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. They were light, they were flexible, uh, they waving back and forth. The people knew that John was not swayed like those reeds. If ever there had been a man with unwavering, unswerving convictions, it was John. He stood up to the scribes, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, and even to Herod himself. Of course, that's why he was in jail, because he stood up to Herod, uh, who was the the leader of the country. His people knew John. uh, He was as far away as he could be from being spineless. He was a man of great conviction. I had a coach in uh, high school that said to me, I'll never forget this. And uh, I went to him one day, and I said... uh, is this, is this the right play? And he said, well, that is the play. He said, if we're going to be wrong, let's be wrong strong. I liked that. I liked that. He said, go ahead. Hit it hard. Do your best. This is the play. Well, this is the play we're going to do. Being less direct and honest, he could have gained support of the hypocritical scribes and and Pharisees and Sadducees who came to him for baptism. You remember that? Instead, he confronted them with their sin and their hypocrisy and called them a brood of vipers. How would you like that if you thought you were the uh, most religious person in the country and somebody came up to you and said, you're like a bunch of snakes? 
That's exactly what John the Baptist uh, did to them. Like William Penn, John believed that right is right even if everybody's against it. And that wrong is wrong even if everybody's for it. I talking about deacons. I had a deacon uh, in a church that I served in the outskirts of Atlanta years ago. His name was Bruce Kelly. And uh, he was a great man, just a great man, and a brilliant man, and a very, very spiritual man. And he was a deacon the whole time I was there, and he was the best deacon we had. And we would have these discussions and deacons meeting, and Bruce would sit back there, and he'd listen to everything. And then he would make a comment. And his comment always made a lot of sense. And so when he first became a deacon, sometimes they would do something else rather than what Bruce suggested. But as time went by, as years passed, people began to realize that they had among them a brilliant, very, very spiritual guy. And so one night we didn't have much time to meet, and so this question came up and I said, uh, Bruce, just tell us what to do. We don't have a long time to discuss this. And he did. And it was right. I mean, he was that kind of a guy. It was just, it was just remarkable. Well, look at uh, verse 8. But what did you go out to see, Jesus is asking. A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Now, they had all kinds of fancy clothes back then. Uh, you might be surprised by that, but they did. I think... I'm not sure that they were from India. Uh, most of the silky kind of things that uh, they got. Uh, Jesus challenged the crowd by asking them another question about John. In doing so, he reminds them of the third characteristic of John's greatness, his self-denial. Uh, great generals, as you know, they go to battle with their men. They're in their fighting with their men. Great athletes train their bodies to the nth degree. Uh, they sacrifice everything to build their body up to where it's as strong as it can be, as fast as it can be, as quick as it can be. Great medical researchers risk exposure to deadly disease in order to save thousands, if not millions, of lives. If you're going to be great, it's going to be hard. It's going, to, it's going to be hard. The easy way is never the way to greatness. The self-indulgent man dressed in soft clothing. Uh, he didn't live in the wilderness like John did. John, you've heard this many times, John wore a garment of camel skin he had a leather belt. That was it. No Tommy John for him. Uh, he had um, locusts and wild honey to eat. Now, I don't know if all the food groups are represented in those two things or not, but that's what he ate. And uh, that was his, that's what, that's what he ate. That's what the Bible says. His lifestyle was a living visual protest against self-indulgence and self-centeredness. 
he lived literally in the wilderness. Both physically and symbolically, he dressed and ate and lived apart from those that were hypocritical, those that were corrupt, those that were in all the political systems of the day. He was not interested in the ease or approval of the world. Let me say a word to the deacons. If that sentence can be said about you, then you are a great man. A great man. He was not interested in the ease or approval of the world. That's a great statement. He was so consumed by the cause God gave him that he was not attracted to the world. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't really want to be in the world. His devotion to his ministry completely superseded anything that was personal, uh, personal interest or personal comfort, anything like that. That wasn't his primary concern. Along with not drinking uh, wine or liquor, along with not ever having a haircut, along with not touching anything that was dead or anything that was ceremonially unclean. Those were the things that you had to do if you were going to take a Nazarite uh, vow, which John the Baptist did. In preparing for the sermon tonight, I learned something. Now, some of you might already know this, but I didn't know it. There's only three people in the Bible that took a lifelong Nazarite vow. You know who they were? Samson, John the Baptist, Samuel and John the Baptist. Those were the three, only three that did it. He was not like many of the ascetics throughout uh, church history. I remember I took a a class in uh, asceticism during school, seminary, and I I really thought that a lot of those people had kind of gone beyond spiritual to crazy. And... I don't know if, uh, where's Dr. Laidlaw? <laughs> See here? Did I, is that too far? Did I go too far? <laughs> Some people have sought to win God's favor by feats of self-inflicted poverty or pain or humiliation. As I talk about the ascetics, I always use the same illustration, Simon Stalettes. He was a guy that uh, midway through life, he lived till he was 72, uh, for 37 years, he decided that he was going to live on top of a pillar, a pillar that had been constructed. Now, these pillars were about six or seven feet across. And he spent 27 years on top of that pillar looking at the sun. He said that that drew him closer to God, that he was totally fixated on God. I think that was a little nuts. (laughs) I think he went way, way too far on that. I think that was crazy. 
but that's what he did. John the Baptist knew nothing of such misguided piety. His self-denial had a purpose to it. It was for the sake of his ministry, and it added to his own physical and spiritual discipline. And he was a great, great man. Tonight, uh, I'm just going to ask you this question. Is there anybody here tonight that's been thinking about trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior? Is anybody here tonight who has thought about joining our church and maybe you had thought that tonight would be the night? Is there anybody that has other spiritual decisions that they would like to share with our church? Would you raise your hand right now? Anybody here in the house? I'm looking around. I don't see any hands. All right. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss early, and we're going to go down to the fellowship hall, and uh, we're going to meet our deacons.